thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, lovely to be with you. As uh, I've been introduced, my name's Phil, Phil Dixon, uh, and uh, uh, I just want to say something about me because each time I come, there are new faces, people who've never laid eyes on me before, so it's always quite when I'm in that context, I always like to know a little bit about the person that's speaking. Uh, so I'm a Barrow lad. I was born and bred in this area. I've lived in Barrow and I've lived in Dalton. I've lived in Ulverston. lived in a place called Lowick Green, which is on the way to Coniston. Uh, so most of my, oh, all of my childhood was spent in and around this area. I'm a Barrow AFC supporter, was there at the game yesterday, uh, and uh, enjoying the most successful time in the whole of my life, and I'm 55 years old, so hey, this is, uh, this is a good time to be alive. Uh, and I'm married to Margaret, who unfortunately is not able to be with me today. Uh, we have three daughters, all of whom are married, and I have two little granddaughters, neither of whom are married. Uh, and... Uh, and I just want to start with the bad news, and the bad news is that I have never been succinct for a day in my life. So, um, but anyway, uh, Johnny uh, texted me, and uh, kind of at short notice, I was uh, asked to come and speak. And uh, we're starting a series, or you're starting a series, uh, on Ruth. Uh, and uh, so I had this text saying, Ruth won faithfulness. That is all the instruction that I have uh, for this morning. So... Um, I don't know if you know the story of Ruth, I'm sure some of you do. Ruth is kind of, uh, well, some of you might think it's a love story, but it, and in a way it is a love story. It's not quite love actually. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lot more about faithfulness. It's a lot more about uh, love as faithfulness, not only faithfulness within a relationship, within marriage, but within family, within a community, within, uh, uh, within a, a, a place, really, uh, and the, the, the commitment that we make. So I'm going to think about faithfulness, but particularly what I want to think about is the faithfulness of God. And I want to ask the question, because we've just been singing that God is so good, and perhaps there's a few of you coming here this morning, and you're thinking, well, is he really? I'm not quite sure that I really believe that statement, because, uh, you know, my life doesn't seem that wonderful at the moment. Is there evidence that God is good in this context? Uh, and um, perhaps we, uh, you know, so the question I want to ask is really, can God be trusted? Can we trust God in the context of our lives where sometimes, you know, things seem good and at other times things seem like they're pretty tough? And I'm just going to read the first chapter of Ruth. Uh, and uh, as I do so, I want you to think, if this was you, if this was your experience, if you were Naomi in this story, would you think that God is good uh, at the end of chapter one? And would you think that God could be trusted? So let's uh, read that. For that, I need my glasses. But anyway... Ruth chapter 1. In those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab, 
The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth, and after they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, and her gods go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the, woman, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So, would you feel that God was good if that was you? If you were Naomi, would you, and that's been the circumstance of your life, would you be singing, God is so good? Because I don't think she was at the end of chapter one, do you? Uh, my name is Mara because the Lord, Lord, the Lord has, has inflicted bitterness upon me. Would you be trusting the Lord? We don't know where, where Naomi was in that. We don't, we don't have, have any evidence of that. But what we do have in this story is this sense that uh, because this, has, this book, spoiler alert, has a happy ending. And uh, Naomi, whose life is empty, by the end of the book, her life is full because of what God does. But is God to be trusted at the end of chapter 1? Is God faithful at the end of chapter 1? Or is it just when our lives get sorted that we can believe and trust in God? So in this chapter, the scene is set. We're introduced to two of the three main characters, Naomi and Ruth. Uh, and uh, 
They uh, are the central characters of this story, but let's be clear about one thing. The hero of this book is God. God is the hero of the book of Ruth. In fact, I would suggest to you that it's a pretty good guide uh, to reading the Bible to understand that God is the hero. Whatever, whoever the human actors are and however incredible they are, it is God who is the hero of this book, the Bible. This is a book that is about God. It's about uh, the revelation of God, who God is. Uh, and it's a book that's essentially about God, revealing His character and revealing His purpose. So before we ask what we can learn about how we should live, and we will ask that question, we will think about what we can learn and how we should live. Uh, I think the first important question is to ask, what can we learn about God? What is it that we need to know about God in this context? We've sung some great songs today, haven't we? Uh, and I've only just come across that song, Waymaker. Um, and uh, uh, my daughter mentioned it to me about 10 days ago. And I, not, I think possibly I'd heard it once before that. And then I've been at a conference this week and they sang it there. And then uh, you've sung it. And I've been thinking about it in the context of this service. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That's about about God, but is that our experience, or are they just words that we sing about the character and the purpose of God? So we need to ask what we can learn about God. I've, I've been reading a book called How to Pray. I know I've been, in, I've been a full-time minister for 30 years. You'd think I know how to pray, but I've been reading a book on how to pray. It's always good to revise, and, um, uh, and it's by Pete Gregg, who's the guy that set up all the sort of 24-7 prayer movement. And in this book, he has this little quote. He says, one of the main differences between you and God is that he doesn't think he's you. One of the main differences between you and God is that he doesn't think he's you. And it's, it's, it's one of those thoughts that just sort of resonated with me. I think the issue that we have often is that we think that we should, we should know more than we do. We should know more than we do about actually what's good for us, what's best for us, what God is doing in our lives and in our context. And it's clear in chapter 1 that Naomi is struggling to believe that God is faithful, that God is good, that God can be trusted. She's been through these terrible experiences. There was a famine in the land, so they had to be uh, refugees and move to Moab to try and find food. And when she was there, uh, first her husband died, and then within a period of time, her sons had died, and life had made her bitter. In fact, she says in verse 13 that the Lord's hand had turned against her. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that, like the Lord's hand has turned against you? Perhaps you feel that way today. Perhaps you're here in church, and you're thinking, the Lord's hand has turned against me. You might not be thinking it in, those, in that way, but that just that says, where's God in all of this? What in the world is going on in my life? But the same God who is faithful uh, in chapter 4 is the same God who's at work in Naomi's situation here in chapter 1. The thing is, it, is that it may be that we only feel that we know God is faithful when we know the end of the story. <laughs> It's kind of like, you know, God's faithfulness is contingent upon actually our lives working out, like the stuff happens in the way that we want it to happen, like it's the story we would have written if we, yeah, that we want to be written. And that's the challenge, and hence the quote by Pete Gregg, because actually the thing is that we want to be, we want to be God. We want 
to write the story and we think that God should be the one who kind of makes, makes the story that we've written for our lives happen so that everything works out well, that all, all, all is sweetness and light and life is just not like that. We're all going to go through periods in, in our lives when life is not like that. I've, uh, I've uh, as I say, been in uh, ministry for 30 years, and uh, I've just, uh, I've just concluded my ministry in, in Bramhall, which is a suburb of Stockport. I've been there for four and a half years, and, uh, uh, and I just got to a point where I felt that I wasn't quite the right person for this role, and so I've stepped out of ministry for a little while, and, uh, and I'm in a period where I'm going to take a break over the next few months and uh, see what God's going to say to me uh, about the future. And uh, on leaving Bramall and talking to some of the people, some of the people said to me, we were, we were sure that God had called you to this church, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and we don't understand why it is that you haven't felt that and that you, you're stepping out of it. And uh, as I've thought about that and I've reflected on it, the thing that strikes me is, one, I did and I do believe that I was called to Bramall. But the, the, to say that uh, we thought that you were called here suggests that we think that we know what the story is, that we should know what the outcome of that time is there. That suggests that we think that we should know better than God what's going to happen in that context. I believe I was called by God to Bramall. I believe that God will have used me for what he wanted to use me for in that period of time. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's a difficult one. But we do want to do that, don't we? We want God to do the things that we think he ought to do. So, God is faithfully working in our lives, but his faithfulness is shaped by two big truths. And these are, so let me just share these with you. The first is that God is always faithful to who he is. God is a God of absolute integrity. We want people, we want to know people of integrity, don't we? We want to know people who will do what they say they're going to do and who are what they appear to be. And God is exactly that. God is exactly that. He always does what he says he's going to do, and he is always faithful to who he is. The faithfulness of God to his own character is the absolute bedrock of our confidence, because we all know people, in fact, we will have been probably people, who, are, who have said that they're going to do something, and, then, uh, and even with every intention of doing it, have ended up not doing it. I'm sure I'm not the only person in the room who's been that person, but God isn't like that. God always does what he says he's going to do. And we all know people who on our first impression, first time we met them, we thought they were wonderful, we thought they were ace, we thought these were going to be our best friends for all of life, and then we've been let down by them because they have not, uh, they have not been the people that we thought they were going to be. God is not like that. God is exactly who he, who he says he is. God is exactly true to the person that is revealed in this, in this book, the Bible. God is always faithful to who he is, and that's why we can have confidence in him. Well, that confidence isn't everything's going to work out the way I want it. This confidence is this is the God in whom I can trust because he is completely and absolutely reliable. He is always faithful to who he is. And the second thing, big truth that we need to hold in our heads when we think about the faithfulness of God is that God is always faithful to his purposes. 
In many ways, this is the key message of the book of Ruth. It's a book that reveals how out of the chaos of Israel in the time of the judges, so Ruth is a little book that kind of overlaps between um, the end of the book of Judges. I don't know if you've read the book of Judges. The end of the book of Judges is one of the most horrific bits of the Bible. There's a chapter in the end of Judges. My wife always misses it out when she reads. She hates one of the chapters at the end of Judges because it's horrible what's going on in in Israel at the time. And the, the refrain is, there was no king and the people just did what they wanted, essentially. So there's anarchy going on. But in the midst of all of that, God is at work in the story of Naomi and Ruth and through them is carrying on his purposes because if you know the story, Ruth is uh, one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's the great grandmother of King David. She's one of the key, uh, key players in the story. God's quietly working out his purposes uh, to provide a king for Israel. And I wonder if part of our struggles is that we judge God's faithfulness by the expectations that we have for our own lives, as if God's purpose was simply as a source of personal fulfillment to us. But God's purposes are focused, are not focused on us. God's purposes is His kingdom come. God's purpose is new heaven, new earth, with His people, the church, heralding and demonstrating the joy of living under God's rule. Our lives are not the big story. They are countless little stories within the one big story that God is weaving and creating and bringing to a fulfillment which will end when he returns and there is a new heaven and a new earth. I've, uh, uh, you were going to get better preachers than me. You're going to get more charismatic preachers than me over the next few years, but one thing I'm not sure you'll get is anyone who is more thrilled to be here than I am. Because uh, <laughs> my story goes, goes back to when this church met in Abbey Road Gospel Hall. And actually, I was just talking to Alan before the service, and there was a bit before then, but I, I'm not old enough for that bit. But when I was not, when I was not, I came to this church... <laughs> Till I was seven in Abbey Road. When I was uh, a teenager, between the age of 14 and 19, I went to the church when it was in Victoria Hall in Rawlinson Street. Uh, when I was 21, I got married in Spring Mount. Uh, and when I was in my 30s, I started coming as a regular preacher here. So to be here at Salt House Pavilion, kind of like full house, really, the journey carries on. But even more than that, my personal story is that actually... My parents, both my parents became Christians as a result of the work of this church when it was Abbey Road Gospel Hall. My dad's parents came to this church, uh, and I never knew them. They, they died before I was born. See, this is the big story. The big story is that God is faithful. God is faithful to his purposes, and his purposes have been in the, through the ministry of this church in all its different varieties. And I tell you what, this is a lot different than Abbey Road Gospel Hall and the meetings that would have been happening there. But God was, is at work because he's faithful. His purpose is he wants a people who will witness to him and, to, and will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in, in the community. And Naomi and Ruth illustrate this because this is a tiny book, yet it's a vital to the overarching story of the Bible. It's a little story, but it has eternal significance. 
Once we see that being a Christian is a call to be part of God's purposes, and we give up our small ambitions for the godly ambition of living wholeheartedly for Jesus, then we're going to stand. Then we will stand in the face of whatever circumstances come our way. You see, one of the key things that we, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, have to settle in our minds is that life will be tough. Please take me to the place in the Gospels where Jesus says, follow me and life will be a bed of roses. I can take you to the places where he says, follow me, take up your cross, every day die to yourself. We are going to experience, and we need to settle it in our minds, because if we don't settle it in our minds, when they come along, we're going to doubt, we're going to wonder, we're going to think, is God in this? But yes, we sang, we sang about it in that song, didn't we? That even when we can't see it, and even when we can't feel it, that God is working in, in those times, that God is present with us in those times. We are going to face hardship, we are going to be, face suffering, but God is faithful, God can be trusted. And this is the message of the book of Ruth. You know, it's been true in my life. I, I know this in my own experience. A, a number of years ago now, I had what essentially was a breakdown. And I just went into a place uh, of depression where I was just so low. It was, it, it was in it's a, hard to say, a place I hope I never go again. It was a really dark place. Sometimes I, you know, I would, if I saw people, I was on the high street in Red Car, if I saw people, I would that I knew I'd gone hiding doorways so that I didn't have to speak to them. I'd often just be curled up on the couch, just don't talk to me, don't come near me, sort of feeling about it. And at those points in your life, it is really difficult to pray. <laughs> Some of you all have been there. It's really difficult to pray. And the only prayer that I could really bring to my lips was this, Lord. It was basically, please, Lord, don't let me go. Please, Lord, don't let me go. God is faithful. <laughs> I mean, I, there were time, in that period, I thought, if I get through this, I'll be a better person as a result of it. God will have done something and accomplished it in my life, but I didn't know for certain that I would get through it. But God is faithful. He did not let me go. We, all, we don't always know, it, but God is with us. Just because we don't sense it, just because we don't feel it, doesn't mean to say that God isn't with us, that God isn't there in those situations and in those circumstances. And there are two things, and we're coming to, the, to an end now, just two final things in chapter one, which might help us when we face these challenging times. And the first thing is this, there's surprising grace in chapter one, isn't there? There's a surprise for, for Naomi, and what the surprise for Naomi is, that one of her daughters-in-law is just not going to let go of her. <laughs> now, you gotta, if you read the whole book of Ruth, Naomi kind of comes across as a bit of a miserable character, but you've got to think that she can't have been as bad as all of that because <laughs> Ruth kind of clings to her. and says, I, you know, they, there's these lovely verses in six, verses 16 to 18 where she says, essentially, your God will be my God. Just let me read them. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, with me be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. They're lovely words that Ruth speaks in that situation. And uh, I just want to say to you, this is surprising grace. 
Ruth was willing to leave her homeland to stay with Naomi until her dying day. And when she said that, she didn't know that Boaz was going to come along. She didn't know that. But this is surprising grace. At this desperate and dark time in her life, God did not leave Naomi alone. And I would dare to suggest that in our darkest moments, if we're willing to see it, there will be surprising grace. There will be, and I think it's normally it's people, people that God brings alongside us, perhaps, uh, you know, just fleetingly, who bring encouragement, who bring hope, who stick with us through difficult and dark times. I remember just going back to that experience of depression, a surprising person that God just brought alongside me was uh, my GP. Now, my GP was of the old school, the kind that, you know, you went to see them, uh, and if they didn't think anything was wrong with you, they would give you a telling off. Go away, you're wasting my time, was said to me more than once. And so my GP wasn't someone that you kind of like, he wasn't a warm, cuddly guy, I have to be honest. But when I went to him to talk to him about what I was experiencing, I found someone who actually was for me and who worked with me and uh, understood what was going on in my life. It was surprising grace. It was really, it was surprising. And it may be that if you're facing challenging times, just look for the people who are coming alongside. God is providing. And he's usually providing through people and through relationships. It's surprising grace. And the second thing might surprise you. But I want to suggest to you that we learn from Ruth chapter 1 that we, we can learn to lament. We can learn to lament. I wonder if when things are tough, whether that is the time that we stop talking to God. When it gets tough, that's the time we... It's kind of like, you know, when you're feeling a bit miffed with someone, you don't want to talk to them. You want to avoid them. Is that what we're like with God when times are tough? It's kind of like, I don't want to talk to you, God. This is not what I thought I was letting myself in for. Or if we do talk to him, it's only to ask him to change things. Well, that's okay. Don't stop asking him to change things. We can do that. But I want to suggest that there's another way to pray, and that is to lament. It's a way to talk to God and just say, God, this is how I feel. I feel... Naomi is not afraid to lament the way she feels that God, about the way that she feels God has treated her. You've abandoned me, God, she basically says. On her return to Israel, as she's welcomed by the women of Bethlehem, well, welcomed might be a bit of an overstatement. She's a bit of a, oh, bit of a source of gossip. She names her pain in verse 20 to 21. She says to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. This is just so raw, isn't it? Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Can I suggest to you that the Bible encourages us to name our pain before God? That's literally what she did, isn't it? God has made me bitter, so call me Mara. She named it. Named her pain. What are you doing to me, Lord? I'm going to call myself Mara because this is what it feels like, Lord. To lament is to name our pain. And it's to name our pain before God. 
and believe that, that God accepts it. Do you realize that more than half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament? The prayer book of Israel, because that's what it is, the hymn book of Israel, was filled with songs which are basically saying, what do you think you're doing, God? I thought you were like this, but life is like this. How can we reconcile these things? And I think one of the lessons of this first chapter of the book of Ruth is that we need to learn to lament. We need to know that we have permission to say to God, this is my pain. And I, ah, I don't know what to make of it because this isn't what I thought you were like. This isn't what I thought you would lead me into. Trusting in the faithfulness of God does not preclude questioning what God is doing. It doesn't preclude naming our pain, crying out before God. In fact, I would suggest to you it's actually healthy for us to do it. It's much healthier for us to complain to God about where we're at and what our situation is than it is to kind of go over here and say, I'm not talking to you, God, because you've upset me. Have you tried naming your pain before God? What is it that you are carrying in your life that, you know, is, it's a pain that you bear? Is it loss? Is it despair? Is it disappointment? Is it betrayal? Name your pain before God. Naomi did. God can take it. And he remains faithful because he is the one who can be trusted. And then the final, finally, <laughs> is that the faithfulness of God for us isn't just in a story <laughs> about Ruth and Naomi. Our trust in the faithfulness of God is anchored in the reality that God, in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come into this world. He's come in as a 100% human being in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's entered into our world. He knows what suffering is. He knows every form of suffering. He knows what grief is. He knows what loss is. He knows despair. He knows disappointment. He knows betrayal. He knows all of those things. He's been there. He's, he's seen that, experienced it. He lived a life like the life that we live. And yet he died a death for us on that cross at Calvary. He took our sin. He bore it for us. And God raised him to life in order that we can have hope and new life. You see, the faithfulness of God from our perspective is anchored. It's tied to the cross of Jesus Christ. How do I know that God is faithful? Not because today my life is great. No, but because there is a day when Jesus died on that cross for me and Three days later, God raised him. That's why I know that God is faithful. That's how, why I know I can trust him. And that's where we're at. Can God be trusted? Is God good? Yes and yes. You may not feel it. You may not be experiencing it at this particular moment. But let me assure you that God is faithful. And he is good. Amen. I just want to, I want to pray and uh, then hand back to Ian um, for the final part of this service. As I, um, just before I do pray, um, I, as I was preparing for the service this week, just a, 
a kind of picture came to my head. I, I do um, park runs quite regularly, and, uh, and I just had a picture um, of the tail walker. In the park runs, there's always a person that walks at the back for the person that's the, the last. That's not always me, by the way. Um, but there's always a, a tail walker who walks uh, at the back so that anyone who is kind of like slow and in danger of getting left behind um, can be picked up. And I just had this picture that, that perhaps there is, there's someone here today, perhaps more than one person here today, who, who just kind of like feels like they're, they're the person that's getting left behind. <laughs> I, I don't know what that particularly means. I don't want to give definition to it. But you just feel like you're, you're, you get left behind. You're, you're the slowest of the slow. I just want to say to you that just my sense on this was this, that, that God is not only the pacemaker, the pace setter, the way maker, but he's the tail walker. He's faithful. He's faithful. It's not the speed you're moving. It's just that you're moving. <laughs> He's faithful. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you are faithful. You are faithful and uh, you are true. You're always true to yourself. You're always true to your purposes. But Lord, thank you that within that, you are faithful to us. And Lord, I want to pray this now as you are present through the Holy Spirit, that, that Holy Spirit, you will come in greater power and greater measure, and you will just minister into the hearts and into the lives of your people here this morning. Lord, I pray that for those who particularly uh, are struggling to believe that you are good and that you can be trusted, Lord, even now, through the pre presence of the Holy Spirit, you'll just bring a fresh confidence, a fresh assurance that you are with them, they might not see it, they might not feel it, but that you are with them. Lord, I pray that uh, anyone, Lord, who feels that they're, they're the slowest of the slow, Lord, that they're the people who feel that possibly they're getting left behind, Lord, I pray that even, even now in these moments that you would just minister to them that reassurance that you're the tail walker, Lord. You're the one who walks with us. You're just pleased that they're moving. <laughs> Lord, that they're, they're, that, uh, that, they're, that they're walking in the right direction and they're walking with you. So, Lord, please just minister your grace, minister your healing into the lives of your people today. Let us go from this place knowing that you are good and that you can be trusted. For we ask this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.